When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Now, I'm still joined by Jake Scott, who is the chairman of a a fantastic publication called The Mallard. It's a, and it started off as a website, has recently evolved into becoming a print publication and is a forum for uh, young conservatives mainly to share their views on politics, the state of the world and uh, other issues. And uh, Jake is not quite so optimistic, as I'm sure you will have heard, about the future and the state of the Conservative Party. And I'm delighted to say that he is still with me now. Jake, thank you very much for staying with us. No, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Now, just before you came to uh, speak with us today, you, you were saying that you were at a, a panel event run by uh, another uh, a very excellent publication called CapEx, talking about the future of the Conservative Party. And I think it would be fair to say that it wasn't quite as optimistic as party officials might have liked, or certain MPs and ministers might have liked. And what, what are your thoughts on the current state of the Conservative Party at the moment? The problem the Conservative Party has more than anything is it's been in government for too long. Now, by no means am I saying that I would rather have a Labour Party government, but when you sort of take a step back and think, we've been in power now for 12 years, admittedly five of that was in a coalition, so let's say that we're, we, we have been in government for seven. In that time, in those seven years, we have had four leaders. The last time we were in government for this long, we had one, and that was Margaret Thatcher. As a result of that, we had a clear, consistent vision, we knew what we stood for, we knew where we were going, and we had a plan, and we had a good leader who was able to communicate to people. The same time, the last time the Labour Party were in power, again for this long, they had a single leader. The problem the Conservative Party has at the moment is 
partly that it's been in government for 12 years, but it's partly also for the fact that during that time it has had no consistent vision. It's gone back on itself multiple times. For one thing, Kwasi Kwarteng has said, yeah, we're going to cancel the national insurance rise. Okay, great, but that was that was a national insurance rise introduced by another conservative leader, and that is a microcosmic example of the problem here. So we don't have a clear vision. You're absolutely right, and I fully agree with you about the, the idea of vision. You know, that, that was the thing that was so disappointing, perhaps even upsetting about Boris Johnson's government. You know, he, he comes in with this fantastic plan of levelling up, we're going to win back all these uh, lost labour heartlands, the dissolution with the state of politics at the moment. You know, in comes Boris Johnson and uh, his government, he comes up with this fantastic slogan of levelling up, never gives us a definition of it. And again, I suppose it goes back to what we were saying before in response to one of our earlier messages about communication. You know, if, if you're basing an entire government on a single policy, you have to be able to define it. So, you know, we, we have got this new leader, okay? Do you think she can actually rectify some of the problems that Boris Johnson created? Is it even possible to retain those 2019 seats that seemed so unwinnable going into that election? And then for a short time afterwards, thought maybe the party has made some ground here. Maybe we can continue in these areas. So I think a, a really interesting question there is, can we retain some of these uh, gained seats? Because, you know, one thing that Boris Johnson said and was absolutely right on is you have lent us your vote. We need to earn it. OK, you, you're giving us a chance. Nobody, I think, on our side of the aisle would say we've rewarded that. Um, to talk about that panel that I was in very briefly, someone on the panel said, OK, as, as you've said, Nathan, the main selling point now is supply-side economics. Can anyone in this room give me a quick definition that would be able to explain it to the average voter? No one put their hand up. And probably because the vast majority of us don't even know. So when it comes to, like you say, having this kind of one key linchpin policy, which is essentially supply-side economic reform, if you don't have a party that knows what that means, you can't communicate that to the non-party faithful. So, no, I, I really don't know if we'll be able to hold on to these seats. One poll that made me slightly optimistic came out shortly after Liz Truss was elected, which was that um, she was slightly more popular in the red wall seats than Keir Starmer. But that's hardly surprising when the opposition's Keir Starmer, yeah. right? So the issue is, is Liz Truss likeable? And the answer is no. Yeah. No, you, it, it, it is a, an interesting, I suppose it's a dilemma really, that the, the party's in. You've, you've come from this this man who's made his entire career and reputation on wanting to be liked by being likeable, by you know, being the idiot with the daft hair. But And then, you know, enter the, comes the, the polar opposite to, to Boris Johnson. And, you, you know, you, you do face a, a real dichotomy almost within the party and I think that in itself creates a split but if we look just look more broadly to the Conservative Party conference you know we're in Birmingham the party faithful's gathered in Birmingham right now you know what what's your sense uh, having, having spoken to other attendees here you know speaking to people what what do you think is the the general mood or atmosphere among party members at the moment the word a friend of mine used was funereal. It does feel as though the party has 
has gone and we're essentially you know some sort of weekend at bernie's style comedy of errors in which we're just sort of moving the party around like a puppet that's long lost any life behind it the reality is and and, you know i can't speak for all of us but when i speak to most young conservatives that are here they're here to see their friends right it's a social thing for them and that's you know that's perfectly fine but that's not their fault that they're not really interested in policy some of them are interested in policy but even then, you know, the, the, the slightly more youth-focused panels tend to be quite philosophical, like, what's the point of free speech? But that's, that's not really policy. And, you know, I'm all here for that. I'm a philosopher myself. But um, what, what, the reason I think that's a problem, or at least I think the origin of that issue, is the party itself. Party conference used to be a place to discuss policy, and they used to listen to the to the supporters, to the party members. They'd invite policy from the party members. They'd have policy forums. That doesn't exist anymore. There's nowhere where we can go and sit down and say, okay, what do we think about X or Y or Z, and what can we do to try and sell the policies that we can come up with to the party, uh, to to the public, and that doesn't exist. You know that there is no involvement of the actual party faithful and they are the party faithful you know i i don't necessarily like the current conservative party but i'm at least faithful to the idea that conservatism is the best solution for the country and we're not rewarded with by that loyalty yeah i mean the the conservative party does have its own policy forum but let's be clear i I mean i'm sure i'm going to get shouted at this uh, shouted out uh, you know by certain individuals that i say it's a click you know it's certain individuals who dominate that one particular organization within the Conservative Party. You know, people can shout at me later about that. But, you, you know, you're, you're right. You know, particularly for young people, they don't have a, a reason to want to be Conservatives. You know, it's, it's one thing actually voting for the Conservative Party. You know, you have a set of circumstances like 2019 of saying, well, I can't bring myself to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. The, the alternatives aren't great. I'll just get, lend, lend my vote, as you say, to Boris Johnson. So I, I, I suppose going going into this more philosophical debate as you say you know what can conservatism let's forget party for now what can conservatism today actually offer young people so to kind of um you know start from the basics conservatism is a philosophy of belonging it's a philosophy of believing that you have a place in the world and that that place is safe for you that's part of the reason that conservatism has always gravitated to things like nationalism or at least national identity, because it's a way of bringing people together in the least exclusive way possible. It's still exclusive because it has to be, but it's the least exclusive way possible because it's um, it's a form of belonging that's not based on, say, race, gender, uh, religious identity, or anything like that. It's based on whether you believe that you are part of this political identity, and if you are, then you should be able to take part in it. Now, young people, especially, are at risk. They're very much at risk of both political extremism, but also economic instability, cultural wars, um, you know, just essentially being taken advantage of. We see it with increasing extremism from basically every direction amongst young people. And conservatism as a philosophy of belonging, as a philosophy of home, ought to be ought to be able to say to these people, actually, no, things are not as bad as you think, and where they are, we all need to work together to make sure that we can improve. So conservatism in that regard should at least should be able to bring people together around things they share and work towards improving the common fund. That's why I don't believe this is a conservative party anymore. Well, that's quite, quite a 
a, a damning statement. The Conservative Party is not Conservative. Can I just ask you to elaborate a bit more on that? Because, you know, that, that is a heck of a claim to, to make by saying that the biggest centre-right party, well, the, the, the most successful centre-right party in, in history mm. is no longer Conservative. What, why, why do you think that? The last time I heard a Conservative Party leader talk very passionately strongly about Britain was Theresa May. And that was only in a parliamentary debate when she said that the Scottish National Party is confusing the European Union, an economic uh, union that's existed for, for 40 years, with our country that's existed for 300. Now, Boris Johnson might have talked about getting Brexit done. I don't think he got Brexit done. I think he got Brexit started. But even then, it was a very kind of global Britain. And when you actually, again, it's kind of like the levelling up thing. When you drill down to what global Britain means, it doesn't... The, the emphasis is not on Britain, it's on global. It's on in, uh, attracting out to the, the globe, being part of this wider political world, which you need to be. But then, when you look to see how this has evolved with Kwasi Kwarteng, for instance, in his uh, budgetary speech, he said, we need to attract the world to us. Now, that's perfectly fine, but what is it we're attracting the world to? And unless there is a clear coherent vision of what Britain is and should be that's coming out of the Conservative Party. Until that point, I do not think they are Conservative. Okay, well, at least something that we can all agree on is that one bastion of British Conservatism at the moment is the Mallard magazine. You know, it's a fantastic forum for young Conservatives to really share their views and have a, an open space in which to debate and discuss and just actually put their thoughts to paper, which it, for, for Conservatives generally is a rare thing at the moment. So could you just give listeners an overview of what exactly the Mallard is and what you hope to achieve with it? Well, thank you very much for letting me do so. And obviously, thank you for having written in the past. If anyone wants, to read, uh, if anyone wants to read Nathan's articles, you can go on the Mallard and you can just type in and search Nathan Eckersley. You'll find his fantastic articles there. And that's essentially what we want to do is basically what you've just said, both give people who have not got anywhere else to speak somewhere to speak, but also from a sort of practical perspective, people like yourself who are sympathetic to conservatism and, and are conservatives, give them somewhere to start writing. We've had so many fantastic writers who start with us and go on to write for other places and that's really a point of pride for us because sure, we might be their first chance, but someone's got to have their first chance and nobody regardless of who you are, nobody starts their writing career with The Telegraph or The Daily Mail. You start off with essentially honing your opinions, putting them out into the public and just testing them. So that's what the Mallard tries to do. But alongside that, it tries to bring together the best conservative writers of the younger generation to prove that actually, yes, despite all of our misgivings, there is a, re there is a need and an appeal for conservatism amongst the youth, um, but also make sure that that is a tight and coherent and convincing message at the same time. I, I fully agree with that. And again, I, I, as well as writing, I do subscribe to the Mallard. It is a really good uh, publication. So we, we've only got a couple minutes left in this segment, but I just want to ask, ask you finally, just as a very broad overview, we are of course at the Conservative Party conference. Where does the party go from here? We, we, we seem to find ourselves, as you, as you say, this does seem to be sort of funereal, as, as, your, as your friend said. You know, the, there is a, a very sombre attitude in comparison to previous conferences, certainly that I've been to. So, you know, given where we are as a, as a party, 
where do the Conservatives go next? What, what's our plan? What do you see as being the future of the Conservative Party in the short term? So I could give some you know, optimistic spiel about you know, what we can and cannot do. My personal belief now is the next two years is damage control then we lose the next election. During that time, we have a serious think about what we stand for, what we should stand for, what we shouldn't stand for, what demarcates us from the left these days, because there's a lot that we share with them, and, and wrongly so. And we need to accept that we're probably going, we're almost definitely going to lose the next general election. That means we're going to be out of parliament for at least five years, maybe even ten. And during that time, we essentially need to do, and this is the one thing that I, I, I keep saying to people now, we need to do what Thatcher did between 74 and 79. She went out to every single right-wing group she could find, and I mean every single one. She listened to them. She said, what do you think is the problem? Where do you think we should go from here? So I appreciate you asking me the question because... In essence, that's what the party should be doing, is asking the question, and they're not. Okay. Jake Scott, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me.